Welcome to Healing Wisdom, a Thursday morning talk show featuring guests sharing their stories and knowledge. We discuss the healing aspects of the arts, metaphysics, social justice, and adventure through all types of terrain. So join me, Pandora Peoples, here on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown and WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. We're streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. My second guest today is Dr. Paula David. She is a geriatric and group therapist who specializes in working with patients who have experienced extreme trauma. Dr. David is an educator, lecturer, and her collective poetry project with Holocaust survivors at Baycrest Geriatric Center in Toronto became the inspiration for Silent Tears. It is a collection of poems turned songs and the album is out right now. So today we talk about the unique needs of victims of war, how memory is affected by extreme trauma, and also how creativity helps survivors. Welcome, Dr. Paula David. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So there is so much to talk about. I found it fascinating. You sent me a manual on care for geriatric survivors of the Holocaust. Today, we're mostly going to be focused on that, but you've also worked with Native Americans who have experienced similar trauma. So can you talk about the common theme here and what we can understand about the needs of families today who have experienced wartime trauma? When I first started working with older Holocaust survivors, I had no idea of what I was getting into, of the complexity of the work, and what that would mean, because there never had been a cohort of elderly Holocaust survivors. Very few older adults survived, and therefore, 45, 50 years later, when I entered the picture, we didn't have a significant number. So the people I met were the young adults who were beginning to age and face age-related challenges. As I became more and more immersed in my work, and that was the focus of my job, I realized there were many commonalities. And anybody working with Holocaust survivors and Holocaust history, Holocaust studies over the years, has two underlying major motivations. And one is so that it should never happen again. And obviously it happened again and again and again. And secondly, there is no redeeming factor whatsoever in anything in my mind that um, anything good came out of this. What we did have and a gift from the survivors is their narratives and what we might learn to support other people post-Holocaust of genocide and extreme trauma. And part of their reason and rationale for even tackling their narratives and telling their stories was never again. That was a common theme across the board. And part of that was to, I felt obligated, and many of us did, to learn and share the knowledge. So as I progressed through years of working with survivors, and their life stages, I always felt there was a a large obligation to share this knowledge. During World War II, it was the Jews that were persecuted and incarcerated and annihilated 
as were Jehovah Witnesses, as were LGBTQ people, political dissidents, and as I said, that's a broad range of experience and a broad range of narratives of the survivors. So it was a matter of reaching out and sharing. And then as we started collecting information and sharing it, first of all, amongst the staff, and this would be everybody across the healthcare team, doctors, nurses, PSWs, personal support workers, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, and in a residential facility, cleaners, the staff that works behind the scenes to keep the building going, they're often in people's rooms at, and during off hours and quiet hours, and their skill set and their insight and understanding is critical to comprehensive care. So just sharing everything we learned as we learned it. So for a long time, we didn't stop to write it down. And hence, we knew there were triggers. We knew that from experience, we would do something with the best of intentions. And then it would blow up in our faces and we'd make note of that and quick tell everybody. One example was for a major Jewish holiday, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra volunteered to come up and send a few musicians to give a little concert during that day to honor our, our residents, period. Actually, it was a day program. So there were community people and we were thrilled with this and had the whole setup and let people know, help people get to this concert. And at that point... I I think they were playing Bach. I'm not sure which. About five people just got overly upset, massive reactions, and had to be taken quickly out of the room. And we found out later one of the songs was a standard song that an orchestra played in Auschwitz as people were being marched off to the gas chambers. Totally inappropriate. So right away, we knew we had to be very careful about what we did. But on the other hand, you can't just stop the music because we had many people who were thrilled to have top-notch musicians playing beautiful music. So it was much more of an art than a science, and that's a hard thing to develop expertise in and share. So we needed an alternate program for those people that we identified as potentially being upset. We needed to ensure that those people who would appreciate whatever it was, um, regardless of their war experience, we're still be able, able to benefit from it. So fascinating work. And then at some point in talking to, I'm in Canada, so this would be Canadian. The, I, we also talked to American veterans associations, but that music would be a trigger, a very likely trigger for aging vets. Whether it was songs that they remember to cheer them up on the battlefield that just brings back memories of the battlefield or brings back warm memories of the camaraderie and the challenges and the fact that they survived. So sharing the underlying theme um, across the board. And Toronto is a very multicultural city. So we have both refugees and immigrants from all over the world. And as they become established, they start building and providing ethno-specific, cultural-specific care for their elders, so to get the words out to them. And it was very ironic. At one point, I was dealing with genocide survivors, war vets in our veterans' facilities, and a Japanese nursing home, all of whom had elderly residents, some with early dementia, having very difficult and specific flashbacks and reactions. So during World War II, these were very 
different divergent groups and incredibly different experiences, but their aging experiences and trauma-related impact was very much the same. So fascinating and very much evolutionary work. There can be many triggers, as you're talking about, for these aging victims of war and Holocaust survivors. Their daily activities, like taking a bath or taking a shower, pose sort of a, a certain danger or threat. How does extreme trauma's effects change over trajectory of life? How does dementia, Alzheimer's, and short-term memory loss impact a survivor? There are, I would say, there are as many answers as there are individual survivors. So I think... In any trauma work, which you also would understand, but across the the age spectrum, it's individualized approaches. And I believe that's the bottom line standard of care that we would need in all elder care. So who were these people when they were younger? Where did they come from? And what were their lives like is going to impact with or without cognitive impairment, their experiences. So when, and I would say the cohort of older adults today all had some kind of major challenges. Many of them, one, not so much two world wars, but one world war. Many of them are here in North America looking for a safe haven, which means they left an unsafe haven. As they're aging and face various physical challenges and losses, that becomes more vivid and more challenging to withhold, as well as bringing up a capacity for resilience. So you have on each side, then you put on, that's for normal, healthy aging with normal aging, which still presents some physical challenges and emotional challenges. If you have cognitive impairment and it's progressive, If you have it and it's not progressive, it's a challenge. If you have it, it's progressive even more so. But what happens, um, the way the brain functions, you start losing short-term memory first. So for people who speak several languages when they arrive in Canada and work very hard and very successfully at learning English, that will be the first language to go, which immediately shuts down a lot of communication for those of us who don't speak several languages. And then as the dementia progresses, they go farther back and the most comfortable language would be their language of origin. And it's not standard across the board, but that's common. And memory also becomes more vivid. If you're just joining us now, you're listening to Healing Wisdom on Outermost Radio. I'm Pandora Peoples, and we're speaking with Dr. Paula David. Behind me is Romany Waltz from Pandora Tango Ensemble. This is from Silent Tears. I am still a working older adult, and I have so many more reminders of my youth and of times when I was much younger and more vivid and more engaging. I'm more interested than ever I was. And I think part of it is I've raised my kids. They're independent. I don't have to worry about them. I have time to reflect. And I didn't have that at a certain stage of my life. So that's common. And it's a common developmental thing. But then if you throw in the element of genocide or massive trauma or massive loss, It really complicates so that anything normal in everyday world that you're used to, you may not like it, but you've accommodated in your life, 
you may lose that and all it does is remind you of horrific times. And so often, those of us caring for these people, we don't know what those times were. So, and we're trying to do our very best work and somebody is terrified of us. It's a challenge. Yes, for a long time, time in my work with survivors, they have learned to live with their story and know how to narrate their story in a way that protects them. They may choose to edit it. They may choose to leave something out. They haven't forgotten those details. They have chosen not to tell. In my personal experience, I waited a long, long time for them within our group to trust me. I thought they just had to test me over and trust me infinitely before they would tell me anything. It was about a year of not much communication other than surface stuff. And at which point, when they started talking, I realized they were protecting me as they did their adult children. So many of them, stories of sexual abuse, physical assault, ugly, ugly killings that they witnessed, or their own extreme pain, they chose not to tell that part of it. So many survivors incredibly bravely went in to talk to school children, what became part of adult education after they had finished raising their kids because of this necessity of never again to share the stories. And yet I know, even though those could be horribly upsetting to do the retelling, they were committed to it and it was still a somewhat edited story something that I often saw because I had a group I often heard those parts and I can't tell you how many times I heard somebody say I've never told anybody this and I never will as they tell me the story so I think there's also a need to tell it and to repeat it and which is how I got involved in looking at creative outlets because I didn't know what to do with this story and they also said and you could never tell anybody so I had to reconstruct the story so that it wasn't identifying. But I also felt it was my obligation to not let these stories disappear. We've been speaking with Dr. Paula David. This is the first in two parts of our conversation. Tune in next week for part two. Behind me is a prayer for rescue off Silent Tears out now. The words were written by Molly Applebaum and Dan Rosenberg. Music is by Artur Gold. A Prayer for Rescue features the vocals of Marta Kosiorek. In this program, we heard Silent Tears, which featured words from the Terrace Holocaust Survivors Group, led by Dr. Paula David. Vocals from Aviva Chernik, and music by Rebecca Wokstein. We also heard Don't Let Us Starve, vocals from Aviva Chernik and Olga Avigail Milsk-Milesuk. And we heard Romani Waltz, featuring music from Sergiu Popa, music arranged by Drew Jereka. 
You've been listening to Healing Wisdom at Outermost Radio. All of our shows are podcasts at WOMR.org. Also check out HealingWisdomRadioShow.com and contact me at Pandora at WOMR.org. Our theme music is provided by Mason. You can find her at MasonMusic.com. That's M-A-E-S-Y-N.